Then first sons lifted the level land. Mid God the mighty, there they made the sun from the south, warm the stones of earth, and green was the ground with growing leaves. And welcome to Gifts of the Weird. I'm back. Yes, it has been a couple of months since uh, episode 13, and thank you for joining the podcast. The last two months have been very busy for me. Most of October I spent in Europe. I was in Germany and the Netherlands, and I really had a great time. One of the highlights of my trip was uh, going to Frith Forge, an international conference that was held outside of Berlin in Petzl, Germany. I had a really great experience, met some really great people, and I'm going to be creating a podcast about that for a separate uh, episode. So hang on, um, it will be coming. Just a little bit about Frith Forge. It is a conference that was co-organized by the Troth and Verein für Germanisch Heidentum. And that is a German uh, Asatru organization. It was the Frith Forge International Conference was created to build alliances, understandings, and friendships between American and European heathens. And it was a really great experience. And just briefly, there were over just over 30 attendees. And uh, 13 organizations were represented from uh, around Europe and America. And uh, there were about 12 countries represented. So that was really a great event. So I'm really excited to be have been a part of that. Following that, I went on a week-long tour of sacred sites and historical sites within Germany. Got to see some really great things, and I will be talking about that as well. And the highlight of that for me, um, in addition to hanging out with Diana Paxson, was to uh, visit the Frauhola Teich, the Frauhola Pond. It was really great. So we'll talk more about that in a follow-up podcast. Since returning from uh, Germany, it's been really, really busy catching up with work and life and things like that. One of the really cool things that happened for me was I uh, was able to finally complete a oracle deck. I was working with a great artist, and she completed the artwork, and the Christmas oracle is now ready. And um, I have decks available on my Etsy shop, Phoenix Shop, and I'll have show notes posted. And uh, it's really, I think, a beautiful little oracle uh, divination system based on the the traditions of the holidays from me growing up. And uh, some divination aspects came to me, and I'm just really glad to be able to share that and hope that it brings light and joy in this holiday season. So before we go on to the interview with Diana Paxson, I just want to say that if you're downloading the episodes from Podbean, thank you. That's great. You can keep going to that and downloading from there. Or they're also available on iTunes. And if you're downloading from iTunes, please take a moment to leave a little feedback. Feedback helps the program get some some recognition through search engines on iTunes, and it kind of helps boost uh, heathen podcast and pagan podcast in the religious area. So it's really kind of cool if you can do that. I just really would appreciate that. Please take a moment to take a look at the show notes. I'm going to have some links in there and please visit them and um, hopefully you have a great holiday season. So I was able to take some time to meet with Diana Paxson while we were on our little trip and uh, it was really great. We had a great time seeing these sites. Uh, one of the days uh, we sat down after visiting some Bronze Age grave mounds, walking all over in the 
in the wet and uh, seeing some really cool stones and grave mounds. It was great. And we got to talk about her latest book, Odin, Ecstasy, Runes, and Norse Magic. I'm going to turn it over to our interview and we will catch you on the other side. Thank you. Okay, hello. I'm here with Diana Paxson, author of Odin, Ecstasy, Runes, and Norse Magic, which was released in September 2017. Hi, Diana. Thanks Hello. for joining us. <laughs> this is awesome. It's great to have you here uh, and uh, to be able to talk about this book, which is finally out. Um, this was a fairly long process getting this book together. Well, in one way it was uh, in that I started studying uh, Odin in detail about 30 years ago. In fact, uh, 30 years ago, last August, my uh, went to one of Michael Harner's seminars, uh, workshops, and I wanted, I'd been working from his book for a while, and I wanted to see if I was doing it right, and maybe pick up a few pointers on how to do it better. Uh, on the first day in his workshops, you go to the lower world to find a ally, in, uh, an animal ally. Well, I had several. I didn't need another one, but I'm following the program, <laughs> and I get tromp down there to uh, hang out with the gang, and there's this raven. My first response is, uh, half the pagan community either is called raven or has a raven totem. You are redundant. Uh, however, uh, she would not take no for an answer, so I said, okay, for, the, uh, for this workshop, I'll go with you. Uh, the second day, the journey was to go to the upper world to find a teacher in human form. So I uh, rolled up in the cloak I had brought, and uh, Harner starts his drumming, and I call up the uh, raven, and I say, take me to my leader, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. <laughs> and this is called being set up. So I uh, rather unexpectedly encountered Odin. And uh, I always used to worry about wishful thinking and making things up because I make things up for a living. I write books. Uh, so I knew that this was not wishful thinking. I knew enough about him to realize that no one in their right mind would intentionally go after Odin for a guide. Well, unless they're very courageous, <laughs> I guess. Anyway... Uh, uh, essentially, one of my motivations for being in the workshop in the first place was that I had been trying to work out how to do uh, Northern European magical practices because I was very attracted to uh, indigenous-type religions, but uh, I wasn't going to walk the good red road. Yeah. Uh, so I thought I would go for something... Uh, that fitted more with what I had been studying, which was medieval literature. I also realized that I was glad I had not had this encounter earlier. I had been hoping for something dramatic for years, uh, but I realized that it had taken about the 15 years or so that I'd already been active in paganism to learn enough to, to be able to make what approached a, an informed decision. I mean, little did I know, but I thought it, I was making an informed decision. So uh, I said, yes, uh, he said he would be my teacher. 
uh, and that was the beginning of a relationship, which is what I had not expected. Uh, it seemed to me that the best place to start would be with the runes, and that the best way to make sure that I carried through with working my way through all of the runes would be to start a class. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, in the Bay Area at that time, we had an extremely vigorous pagan community with a lot of wonderful people in it. Uh, so all I had to do was say, hey, who wants to study the runes? So we had uh, about 15 people, and uh, we uh, worked our way through all through the 24 runes in the Elder Futhark, and uh, at times it felt as if I was getting downloads of information and interpretation. By the time we had gone through the runes together, uh, we had a shared background in northern culture and, and mythology. Uh, so then I got to what I was really interested in, which was the oracular practice, uh, and said, who wants to help me figure out how that was done? And again, they all waved their hands wildly. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we worked on that, and by the time we had that worked out, uh, we basically had become a kindred. And so uh, the kindred, Rafnar, has been going um, ever since. In the course of all of this study, I found that I was working with Odin quite a lot. So I was studying whatever I could find, learning a great deal, and developing the kind of personal relationship that uh, a lot of Christians, for instance, try to have with Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, in the, in the um, Asatru community, there's quite a wide variety of relationships with deities. I mean, some people just sort of give them due honor, but they would rather work with their ancestors or the land spirits or just the ethics and the values. Um, some people honor them but don't feel drawn to any particular god or goddess. Now, I work with all of them, but uh, it pretty quickly became clear that, that Odin was the one that I was really in, in a partnership with. Uh, and somewhat to my surprise, this continued uh, as I uh, started, it, especially after I started to write the books, uh, the first of which was Taking Up the Runes and then followed by The Way of the Oracle, uh, well, Transportation, which is basic trance work, The Way of the Oracle, which is the spay work, yeah. uh, and a book on deity possession. Uh, so after all that, I had been continuing to study, and when Vikings came out, I thought, you know, um, it would be nice if all these people were getting interested in Norse religion because of Vikings, especially uh, as Odin kind of appears and disappears uh, mysteriously. Uh, from time to time exactly in, in the series, the mm -hmm. you know, and then when they announced they were doing a TV series of American Gods, uh, I figured people are going to be going to going online to find out who this guy is, and uh, there, I was not aware of 
uh, any popularly written, easily accessible book uh, about Odin. There are a number of scholarly works that most people wouldn't be able to get a hold of even if they wanted to. Uh, Fjodolf Gunderson's dissertation, Odin, the God of Death, uh, is available through the Troth, but it is written in an academic style because it was his doctoral dissertation that does have a lot of good information. Uh, so I figured the time had come for a book about Odin, and my publishers agreed. Uh, the writing, so, so in a sense, it was, it's the culmination of everything that I have been learning about him and from him for 30 years. But the actual putting the book together took about a year. Okay. Um, in the course of which I realized that I had to go back and double check everything I thought I knew. Right. Because a lot of resources have become available. Uh, my own standards for uh, information have become higher. And one of the things it meant, uh, because poetry, even if the original is old, if the translation is new, uh, it's under copyright for quite a long time and you have to get formal position, permission. And uh, I knew I would be uh, quoting from um, Havamal in particular, but from the Eddas in general, quite a lot. And uh, I didn't want to have to be writing for permission every other week. Uh, so I decided to take the translations that I had and the Old Norse Dictionary that I had and go back and check every quote rather than just putting in Hollander or whatever. Uh, go back and actually look seriously at each of the quotes from uh, especially the Elder Edda that I was using. Now, when you do that, you often find that uh, there are parts of a quotation that none of the existing translations seem to really get. So it's a little uh, unnerving, in fact, to, to find uh, you know, these great scholarly translations. And you go, how could he have gotten that translation for that particular line? Um, I suppose if you're translating the entire Elder Edda, uh, you kind of have to keep forging ahead, yeah. rather as opposed to when you are taking it line by line and really whittling uh, away at it. So I sincerely hope that, that my interpretations, in fact, are valid. But uh, the, what it, by forcing me to, to look in detail at all of those quotations, uh, it sort of reopened and reinvigorated the whole pro learning process. Yeah. So in one sense, it was as if I were doing it for the first time, even though I'd been doing it for all these years. And uh, I also realized that uh, I, my publisher was going to give me 75,000 words to, to play with. Uh, you could probably take three times that and you would still just be scratching the surface of everything you could say about Odin. Mm -hmm. So I, I recognize I'm not going to be able to do the complete, full, scholarly uh, version, but that's not what I was supposed to be doing anyway. Right, yeah. My, my purpose is to uh, have a, a book that covers the most important aspects of Odin 
and in a way that is, um, if not the latest scholarship, at least credible scholarship, but that doesn't look like it. Mm -hmm. Because if, if the footnotes are too obvious, uh, a lot of the people that I want to read the book are going to turn away. So it's not an academic book. It's, uh, although it includes a lot of academic information, but it also includes, uh, the other part was to present not only what uh, Odin meant in the ancient world, but what he means to people today. So it is full of uh, quotations uh, and poems by contemporary people who have had close encounters with him. Uh, and also has some of my own experiences and some suggestions for how to get in touch with him. Mm. This still leaves us with the fact that Odin has more by names than any other god. Neil Price counted 204. Uh, taking each name was also obviously not going to work. <laughs> so what I did was to, to uh, partially follow, following Price's uh, divisions, uh, come up with nine aspects of Odin, and uh, taking the, the by names that fitted in each one, and discussing uh, everything about his career that related, and putting in the appropriate quotes and comments and so forth. So that we sounds really interesting to me to, to take those different aspects yeah. and. Um, arrange it with those names and those things that would probably help really get get to know Odin yeah, Odin's be, facets in a different because, way because because he has a he appears in a lot of different yes, ways yes he does and so it begins with uh, Odin through the ages basically a historical survey of uh, the way that uh, Odin the way we've seen Odin has changed and, and evolved mm -hmm. through the years uh, then we have uh, Odin the Wanderer, that's chapter 2. Uh, Odin the Master of Magic, I think, comes next. Odin the Rune Master, after that. And then Allfather. Uh, after Allfather, I believe it's Oski, the Desired One which includes a lot about Odin's relations with women, uh, past and present. That's six. Odin as the god of war is seven. As the god of death is eight. As Bulwark is nine. Bulwark and death may be in opposite order, I can't remember. And then uh, the last chapter is Odin as god of ecstasy, which is based on uh, we're inspired by looking at the uh, linguistic analysis of the root of his name, which I eventually decided, looking at all the different possibilities, uh, that it is a name, a word relating to intense intellectual activity, and that the, the sometimes it has been translated as furor, as fury, but it's not an angry fury. It is uh, the way you feel when you've just had the best idea you've ever had, mm. 
or when something you've been struggling with suddenly works and you can see it all in your head that there's a particular kind of, of creative excitement. Yes. And that, I think, is the essence of, of what Odin is. Mm, interesting. When you were doing this, um, you know, revital, uh, revisiting your sources or revisiting uh, the Eddas and the mm -hmm. translations, so, did anything change in the way that you viewed Odin before, or <clears throat> did you did you have an aha moment, like like something brand new, like wow, I never saw that before? I think there were probably several. <laughs> at, at this point, there isn't anything that I can that particularly stands out. Um, I mean, some of the things I had wrestled with before, uh, one of the problematic passages uh, is uh, in Locasena when they're during the taunting contest, and uh, Loki uh, taunts Odin with having been on Samsi Isle with the Volver. Yeah. And one of the things that you, problems you have with translations is that there's a technical magical vocabulary in Old Norse for which English has no equivalence in many cases. Yes. So uh, most of the translations would say witches. Hmm. So the the, uh, the the verses go that Odin was on, I know Odin, you were on Samsi Isle, and then there's a verb with the vulvar, and that's a little more than just witches. The vulva is like the vulva at Volospau, who tells the whole history of the world. This is a pretty senior kind of uh, priestess, as well as somebody who can do magic. So Odin was with, with, with the witches or with the, the vulvas on Samsi Isle. Um, and the thing that, uh, the, the verb could be drumming. Uh, and on a, another word which is obscure, which could be box lid or could be drum. So Odin was doing something per, probably percussive with the uh, wise women Mm. on Samsi Isle. And this is part of, this gets quoted in the Oski section about Odin doing things with women, and I think referred to in the, the section on Odin as a master of magic. Uh, interestingly enough, Neil Price in The Viking Way uh, is talking about the archaeology of Saith, but he talks mostly about Odin, not about Freya, which it seems odd to most of us, but uh, Odin is usually, an Asatru is usually associated with Galder, which is the use of words and voice and so forth yes. and runes, yeah. um, or to Galder runes, to, to do various kinds of magic. Um, rather, but, but in uh, Hemskringla, when Snorri is talking about Odin's magic, uh, he does talk about things we'd call Galder, but he has a long list of stuff which he undersave. So Odin as a save mother uh, is part of his magical background. Um, so the uh, just just digging into what 
actual Old Norse words are being used for things yeah. can sometimes set you thinking in different directions. Uh, it also forced me to uh, reconsider and take a good look at all of the stories about Odin, not only the most famous ones that take the winning the runes, uh, giving his eye for wisdom, but there's a lot of other stories. The stories about his relationships with women are interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is he... I, I think on the whole, the women he's involved with get something out of it. But uh, there are a few places where his behavior is a little questionable. And, and one of the things that is very clear when you look at his mythology as a whole, uh, if he, he is, I think, a god who believes that the end justifies the means. So the question is, do we agree with that the ends are worthwhile? And uh, I am convinced that, that his ends are to ensure the survival of uh, humans, our civilization and culture, our eco- and our ecosystem, all of which are the things that have produced him as we know him, yes. as well as us. So, you know, basically to save the world, uh, the ethics are still sometimes problematic. And that's why I had to put a chapter on Odin S. Bulwark, the veil worker, uh, as well. Uh, we can't just sweep those under the rug. Uh, and I concluded that one. All of the others have a, a prayer and some work you can do to, to get in tune with that particular aspect. Uh, for Bulwark, I said, you know, you'd have to be pretty desperate to invoke him in that aspect. Uh, for most purposes, you're probably better off with Loki. Yeah. <laughs> I like that you put in those practical exercises, rituals, and ideas so that it helps people be able to find yeah. ways to connect with yeah. him and, or to find if they're really going to develop this relationship. Now, one thing, a, a lot of people um, have found themselves working with Odin without ever having intended it. And he and Freya are the two pushiest of the gods. And I have met so many people who had unexpected encounters with one or the other of them. Uh, so that really is another reason that I think that this book needed to be out there uh, as a guide to people who are going, what happened yeah. <laughs> and, and how do I deal with it. I was wondering about that because I've heard you comment before that you think that, as you just mentioned, that uh, Odin is the one that is most concerned with the end of the world and preserving the human race and yeah. himself. <laughs> uh, and I was wondering if you find that he's more active or maybe he, we, we just think he's more active. Does, he, does it seem like the way the world is going now with a religious perspective that he's finding a more fertile field to be able to connect with people more, making this book more uh, needful? Um, he's, he's managed to muscle in off and on through the centuries and Wagner is the, one of the best examples. Uh, and, and in fact, Wagner's operas added a, a new dimension, and he evolves along with our culture. So, Thank you for saying that, because I believe that too. 
all of the other uh, all of the aspects recorded in the lore uh, are certainly still there in, in yes. various ways, but you know now I'm sure he's active in IT, uh, in, in science in general. I could, uh, although his worship was suppressed, I could just see him going in disguise as science, and the scientific method began to evolve because any any place where people are exploring new ways to use their minds. Yes. I, I think Odin is there. Uh, or new kinds of art and artistic achievement. So he's been around. Mm -hmm. um, I certainly think that, that many of us have a, a sense of desperation, uh, especially this year. Uh, <laughs> and uh, one of the things that appeals is that the fact that you might not succeed, it doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't try. And the whole, the, the whole way that Ragnarok is described, uh, the, it is foretold that the gods will fall. That doesn't prevent them from getting their armor on and going out there. Mm -hmm. So it, Odin may be the god of the ends justify the means, but he is also the god of of getting out there and doing it, uh, that it's better to, to act and do something than to give up. Yeah. So the, the, the fact that you know you're going to fail is no reason not to do it. Uh, and, and that, in a grim sort of way, um, I think, is something that can give us some courage to, to deal with the uh, threats and challenges that we are facing now. What advice or caution might you have for people that pick up the book and say, oh, I'm going to look into Odin or start researching how they might feel touched by him or try to develop that relationship? Uh, the main thing is it's okay to argue with him. <laughs> uh, feel free to stand up to him. In fact, I think he prefers that. Yep. Um, in fact, at various, uh, in sometimes in our oracular sessions, where sometimes the seer or seeress will be possessed by or channel a god or goddess to speak directly to the person asking the question. Sometimes they just relay messages, but this can happen, especially with Odin, who seems to like to, to come through. Okay. But, but I have heard people get up to talk to him who feel that, okay, should I bow, should I grovel, uh, you know, how humble should I be before your mightiness? And he really uh, slaps them down for that in no uncertain terms. He, he wants us to stand up on our own two feet, uh, to argue with him if necessary, if he's, what he's demanding seems unreasonable. And uh, the other thing is that he understands pain. He won't necessarily take it away, but he will share it. This is also not uh, sometimes a, a somewhat cold counsel, but um, there is at least that comfort. Yes. Uh, I I have the feeling that he is actively looking for people to stand with him and to work to save uh, our world for our descendants, our world and our ecosystem. Uh, or at least something still resembling our ecosystem. 
there's a lot of people in the, the heathen community uh, that say they follow Odin and they're these big rough guys and, and they're all about Odin's the warrior god and insert right. spear here and yeah. you know unless you die on the battlefield you're not going to get to Valhalla or to, to be taken with Frey. Uh, um, when Odin's gathering folks sounds like he needs more than just the strong warriors that are going to go well, certainly and pick seals and shields and swords. Based on the people that I have seen him go after, uh, the thing is all of those aspects are there. Yes. And he, he will, whichever aspect uh, works for you, that's the aspect he will go for you with. So those who want to be big macho warriors, okay, if that's what they're good for, he will be the god of battles for them. Okay, so um, so he takes the the, the gung ho warriors. Uh, although I uh, am firmly convinced that he's got a hall for poets and a, a, a computer room attached to his hall, because that now these days there are a lot of other ways of uh, fighting than picking up a sword or. A baseball bat or whatever. Uh, so this is where the having all of those different aspects is important, and to recognize which of, of at, at any given time which aspect you're you're dealing with. Yeah, I really like that. Um, I'm really looking forward to reading the book. I haven't had a chance to read it, and I do apologize for that. But I will read it as soon as I get back from Germany and uh, begin to read that and, and get into it. And I love the whole going into the different aspects to, uh, to work with Odin in those, those, those different yeah. ways because he he's more than just one facet. One, Absolutely, yeah. One faceted God. And it's, uh, as you said, the warrior aspect is a very important part, but it's not the only part that he reaches out and connects to on, a, on, other, on other levels. Yeah, there's so. also a number of different ways of relating to him. Um, as there are different models for relationships with deities in, in all religions. Uh, so uh, the warrior type might relate to him as a commander, mm -hmm. as a war leader, whereas uh, uh, some might relate to him as an inspiration. Uh, a lot of women have a very romantic relationship with him. Uh, some, for some, he is the magical teacher. So, uh, for for some, also the the kind of dedication. Um, some prefer to take orders. You know that that would be the soldier's relationship. Many of us feel more like we're working for him. Mm -hmm. uh, and and of all of the uh, God relationship terms that we find in the northern tradition, uh, the the friend of, uh, there, there's a story in Henskringla about uh, Thorofl Mosrsegger, if I've got it right, who was a, a, a big lord in Norway, and the king was doing the, uh, you will submit to me and turn Christian, or die, or get out of town. Mm -hmm. So he is trying to decide what to do, he goes, and, and the, the, the book says he, he was a great friend of Thor. 
And he goes to his friend to say, ask what he should do. And Thor gives him these instructions. How exactly he did this is, is not explained, unfortunately, but uh, he ends up knowing he needs to go to Iceland and uh, take the pillars of his high seat with him that presumably were carved with things for Thor, throw them overboard when he gets there, and where they come to shore, that's where he should claim the land. And, you know, so so this concept of that the God is your best friend that, that you're working with, uh, I th find a very attractive one. Yeah, and I think this is going to be a great way for people to really connect with different aspects and, and to find their places. So thank you for writing the book and uh, for taking this. And thank you for taking the time to talk about it uh, with with me and with our listeners and the book's available from Wiser Books and it can mostly be purchased by uh, local bookstores and I always recommend people to try to get it from their local metaphysical bookstore first if they can or yeah. order it through them because that supports a local bookstore if they want hard copy books. Local metaphysical bookstores are like the center point of the community so I really try to yeah. encourage people to get it that Definitely. way first, uh, and then if it's not available that way or their bookstore can't get it, then they go on their favorite online retailer yeah. or ebook. But yeah, well, uh, I think I th there should be a way to purchase it directly from the publisher if you can't get it locally. Okay, or, or through the pub. Great, and, and but we'll, and, and if not, there's always Amazon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Any last thoughts, Diana, about the book, or what you want readers to take away from it? Um, he does have a sense of humor, uh, and, and in fact, uh, retaining one's own sense of humor is a good idea because he also uh, has a lot of weight to carry, and, and um, I think sometimes he needs cheering up. Oh, that's an interesting, <laughs> interesting thought. Excellent. Anything that you can tell us about what you might have on the horizon or percolating from uh, mind to fingertips, as you might be writing something further well, that folks can look forward to. Um, I'm currently putting finishing touches on a sequel to The Golden Hills of Westria. Uh, Odin actually appears in it briefly. Oh, nice. I mean, after, after I got involved with him, he started poking into all kinds of places where I hadn't in initially <laughs> intended to find him. And uh, I'm going to propose, currently we're finishing a class uh, on the runes from the Anglo-Saxon perspective. Nice. So I'm thinking of asking Wiser if they would like a book uh, on the runes of Old England, on the Anglo-Saxon runes as a key to Anglo-Saxon culture. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate this. All the best of luck to you in your writing endeavors and as you travel, safe travels. And we'll put all the notes on where to find the books and uh, or where to find this book particularly. And uh, mm -hmm. thank you so much for all your work. Okay. And that completes the interview. Please check the show notes for links to Diana's book, Christmas Oracle, and Tanya Threek's Voluspa Alban, who you've heard music from today, as well as other topics that were mentioned throughout the podcast. Uh, please like the Facebook page at Gifts of the Weird, follow on Twitter at Weird Gifts, 
And if you have ideas for topics, uh, please give me an email at giftsoftheweird at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to feedback. And, and please invite others who are interested in inclusive heathering. Have a great day.